Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Digital Research. As always, I'm Alex Thorne, head of firmwide research at Galaxy Digital, and I am joined today by Christine Kim and Charles Yu from the research team. Hey, hey to both of you. Hello. Hey, hey. And I'm also joined by Brandon Bailey uh, from Galaxy Digital Mining to talk about uh, one of our big stories today. Hey, guys. Those stories are, uh, we're going to talk about Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance at Cambridge University. They have a new report on Bitcoin mining geography and where Bitcoin uh, is being mined, and it seems that China is having a resurgence there. People are suggesting an underground resurgence of Bitcoin mining. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Coinbase working with Figment and Alluvial to create a staked ETH derivative for the Ethereum they're currently staking uh, through Coinbase Cloud. And we're going to talk about the launch of a new permission blockchain by Polygon um, and their partnership or or, um, their tie up with Ernst & Young, who will apparently build something on it. But before we talk about those Three big stories. I am joined uh, again this week by Bimnet Abibi, uh, my friend, one of Galaxy's top traders, to uh, talk about markets. Bim, uh, you know, markets are still uh, tumultuous and swooning, but give us the the land of the lay of the land here. What are you seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so markets are shaky, as, as you mentioned. I would say sentiment um, is pretty bearish um, across. You know, at every sector of, of of U.S. equities, you know, pretty still somewhat bearish fixed income, um, and people are still bold up on on the dollar. And and those three themes have been sort of the the strongest themes of the year, where you know folks have been bearish stocks, bearish fixed income, and and, and bullish dollar. And and I think largely speaking, that that trend is is in place. Um, and what you're seeing now is just whippy price action of you know short covering here and there. Um, you know, volatility hedging, so on and so forth in a low liquidity environment. So you're seeing a lot of messy price action, but largely speaking, those big themes are are, are still in place. Now, I I do think that for the next um, sort of month or two, you are sort of in a wait and see mode. Um, The way I think about it is the the market has essentially priced in all of the forward guidance um, it really can from from the Fed. You know, the Fed's told you they're going to raise interest rates. The Fed's told you they're going to run off their balance sheet, et cetera. Um, And so now it's like, okay, I want you to actually do that. We've priced in a lot in terms of stocks. You know, they've sold off 30 percent, 20 some odd percent. You know, cryptos come off a lot. You know, uh, bonds have, have have sold off a lot, and so I, I really do think that you know the market has priced in the vast majority of the forward guidance from the Fed, and now they're waiting for the Fed to actually deliver on the next fifty basis point hike, um, and and the one after that, and then it's sort of like where are we with inflation is going to be the theme. So you know, for the next two months, I I, I think that the trend in, in in broader markets is is likely to continue. Um, but you are in sort of a, a low liquidity environment that could be prone to to positioning squeezes. And so that's generally my, my thesis for, for the market. Interesting. And, and what about like just crypto broadly? I mean, I, when I look at um, like Bitcoin and ETH, I mean, they're still just trading in this range. You know, they're they're down a bit today from, I guess, you know, <laughs> crypto trades 24-7. So it's always funny to me doing like, you know, the daily. Yep. Um, but, you know, Bitcoin's at 29K right now. I think ETH is just sub 2K, but right around in the high 1900s. It's it seems to be hanging on pretty decently in the scheme. Yeah, of things. I, I I really don't think it hangs on that much longer. The way I like to think about um, crypto markets is is that it's a, it's a market that moves at the margin uh, more so than any that that I've ever seen. Uh, what I mean by that is you know 
marginal buyer versus marginal seller. And right now, I'm, I'm really struggling to see um, where the, the marginal buyer comes in, um, in into crypto. I do think that, you know, there's definitely institutional interest for, for Bitcoin and ETH, um, especially, you know, as, as, as levels move, move lower. Um, but I don't think that there's really risk appetite in this market, um, partic- particularly for alts, uh, for positions that, you know, you're already, you, you know, you, you, you're sitting on a lot of pro- profits um, for positions that, you know, are constantly earning rewards, etc. I generally think that, that there just isn't enough risk appetite. And, and so the market is going to get moved at, at the margin and, and there's going to be more marginal selling than, than, than buying, period. And so I'm pretty bearish alternative um, alternatives to, to, to Bitcoin and ETH right now. Yeah, and we've even seen, like, you know, we did some put out some research on Bitcoin. 65% of coins haven't moved in the last year. It, it's something like 3% of the supply is actually trading on a weekly basis. So it is literally a tiny portion of the supply currently setting setting the price in Bitcoin, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, I think of that as pretty positive. If I start to see that number uh, go up, the percentage of supply that trades on a short time frame, like that's when you start to know that you're seeing longer term hodlers, right? Like, you know, capitulating Absolutely. or getting nervous. So, yeah. Um, and, and just the 10,000 foot view is that, you know, ultimately I, I do think Bitcoin, you know, will set new all time highs, you know, break 100K, et cetera. Like the, the Fed will eventually crack and you're going to be in a scenario of, of, of stagflation and, you know, more QE and low rates uh, eventually. And so, you know, I definitely think that the bull case for crypto hasn't gone away. It's just short term tactical. Yep. Um, you know, you're probably supposed to, to sell it here. Great. Um, so thank you, Bimnet. Um, we'll uh, talk to you next week. Appreciate um, it. And thanks for joining us. All right, let's talk about the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance, uh, known as CCAF. This is a, a sort of an institute at Cambridge University in England. They've released an updated report. They they have the uh, an index where they track Bitcoin mining hash rate and energy use and the location of hash rate. Um, a great resource. Um, there's a bunch of ways to do this, but um, theirs is one of them, and and it's widely watched. But they put out a report. Um, and some data, I think yesterday that said, so this is Wednesday, so on Tuesday, I believe, uh, that said that Bitcoin mining is happening in China. Um, something like maybe 20% of the hash rate is actually coming from China. And that was surprising because, you know, China banned Bitcoin mining sometime, you know, in spring 2021, late spring. Um, I'm joined by Brandon Bailey from Galaxy Digital Mining. Uh, Brandon, how are you doing? And, um, you know, what am I missing in this story? Like, what, what other details are there? And, and let's start the conversation on it. Hey, Alex, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me. But yeah, just to jump right into this article, it, it is certainly um, eye grabbing to to see that China's hash rate is around 21% um, of, over, of the overall network hash rate for Bitcoin. I think um, one thing that is important to kind of point out about this uh, particular research update is the uh, methodology that they use to um, sort of come up with these estimates for the data. Um, so specifically for the, the Chinese data, um, they had a partnership with a couple different mining pools that I believe included BTC.com, Poolin, and ViaBTC. And so there is the potential that, um, you know, that, that 20% could be over or understated based on sort of the, um, you know, the, the responses that those mining pools have, have given um, Cambridge. But I, I still think that um, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us believe that underground um, mining was occurring in China. Um, we always suspected it to probably be somewhere between maybe five to to fifteen percent of the network. 
um, you know, still still um, being located in China. So seeing that 20% headline is is a little bit shocking, but honestly not too off base, I, I would say at the end of the day. I think um, some other interesting tidbits that, that kind of came from this report is just seeing that um, the U.S. Is, is continuing to be the forefront of Bitcoin mining, um, extending its sort of leading position with about 38% of the network's hash rate located in the U.S., which amounts to about 70 exahash, um, which is a significant um, amount of hash rate. And I would say probably of that 70 exahash, probably about 70% of it um, is related to publicly traded uh, mining companies um, that are listed in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And then one other interesting takeaway I would say from this report is the new um, United States hash rate uh, map by state. Um, I think what was pretty interesting was seeing that Georgia um, actually has the highest amount of hash rate um, of any other state currently, just given, you know, you hear a lot about ERCOT, you hear a lot about mining in Texas. I think a big driver of that has been um, some of the publicly traded miners that are located there, such as Core, um, you know, Blockstream is there, CleanSpark as well. Um, So I think that has given Georgia a little bit of an an early lead um, for the hash rate count as it relates to other states. But I do think you'll see Texas take over Georgia um, by the end of next year, just given how much construction and development is happening there on that front. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Lots of interesting data in there, lots of threads to pull. I did see just on the last point, Georgia is the highest and then Texas and then New York, right, is the third highest uh, by state. You know, we, we've always known that, too. and But obviously, we've covered and actually talked about. We had Amanda on, Amanda Fabiano, also from Galaxy Digital Mining a couple of weeks ago to talk about the, um, you know, proposed legislation in the New York State Assembly to, you know, put a moratorium on on new uh, hash rate in New York State. So just important, to, nice to see a number putting around like what we think, you know, that it's the, it's actually the third largest location. Yeah. And also branded. I mean, it's it's without a doubt that with with China banning with China's regulation, um, you know, causing a lot of mining operations to go underground um, and the U.S. kind of taking over a lot more of the share of of Bitcoin's mining hash power. um, We've also seen energy efficiency and and more renewable sources of energy start to to expand and, and really kind of improve the narrative around Bitcoin's ESG narrative. Are you concerned at all that the resurgence of mining in China are is going to kind of hurt the um, numbers in terms of Bitcoin mining's push for relying on more renewable energy sources? Is the increase in in how like mining hash power has gone to China as of late um, something that you think uh, might damage the kind of share? The, what kind of energy sources are being are being used to to mine Bitcoin around the world? Yeah, I think I think that's a really really interesting question. I, I would say that I'm probably not too concerned, at least at this point in time. I think a lot of the underground mining that is actually occurring in in, in China is probably not connected to the grid or or probably using some other um, uh, more sustainable sort of, of of energy source in order to to power that you know, smaller scale sort of Bitcoin mining operation. So I don't think that you'll see, um, you know, the resurgence of, of underground mining in China contribute to, I guess you could call it the carbon footprint of, of mining in any really meaningful or significant way that I think would uh, 
um, be alarming where, where I think you, you kind of see a resurgence of that narrative back into the, um, you know, the media and, and the news headlines. I think that um, on the ESG front, I think you're going to see more headlines around miners that are standing up uh, newer, uh, you know, renewable uh, sources of, 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 of power, or at least using, you know, sh- like stranded energy sources. So you have the natural, uh, natural gas flaring miners that I think are, I think you're going to see more of those kinds of narratives and, and those strategies that are, are utilized um, in the U.S. that I think will help combat or at least fight that narrative on the ESG front. It's also interesting, like, you know, I think we, I, I like, I was thinking about this, not just the, the China numbers um, in this report, but also that the their estimate of U.S. hash rate is still increasing, right? Even despite this um, resurgence, if we call it that, in China, you know, what do you think about like the the geographic and jurisdictional di- uh, dispersion um, and distribution of Bitcoin mining hash rate? I mean, even thirty eight percent in the U.S. It's starting to get pretty high. For sure, it's it's definitely something to I would say keep an eye on. I mean, we we definitely don't want to see all of the hash rate or at least fifty percent of it, um, you know, end up being concentrated in the U.S. So I think it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And, you know, of that as well, I mean, we definitely don't want to see a lot of that hash rate also end up just strictly in ERCOT or in Texas. So um, in terms of, you know, the different growth plans and other geographies that um, some of these miners might potentially venture into, um, definitely keeping tabs on, you know, how, how growth in other regions continues to, you know, sort of trend over time as well. Awesome. Well, we'll keep following it. Obviously, Bitcoin, the largest and, and oldest and, um, you know, I'm not going to use a whole bunch of different superlatives for the purpose of this, but cryptocurrency, right? The original, um, still in many ways, the most important and, but Bitcoin mining, obviously core functionality and part of the Bitcoin network. Um, and so we'll keep following this really interesting data. Um, check it out, search Cambridge center for alternative finance, Bitcoin mining on Google. You'll get the report right there. Um, thank you, Brandon, for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thanks guys. All right. Next, let's talk about Coinbase working with Figment and Illuvial to turn the Ethereum that they are staking uh, for their clients through Coinbase Cloud um, and, and make a, a stake derivative token out of it, I guess, is the story. But Christine Kim, uh, who knows uh, Ethereum much better than I do, she is here to tell us. Christine, um, what is the story first? Yeah, so the story is a very preliminary announcement by Coinbase's staking arm, Coinbase Cloud, that they are collaborating with Figment and this new, um, newly founded company called Alluvial that's building an enterprise-grade liquid staking protocol. Um, and the details around how this liquid staking, how Coinbase plans to support this liquid staking protocol aren't completely clear right now. Um, within the blog post, within the announcement, um, the, the Coinbase team specified that they see a huge industry gap in um, enterprise grade liquid staking solutions and that they're going to be supporting and backing uh, the one being developed by Alluvial's team. Um, They said, quote, we aim to support the growth of this protocol, Alluvial's protocol, by working with more builders, participants, and validators across the ecosystem. Um, And they put in a little note there that if you're an enterprise or institution looking to explore the world of liquid staking, um, to get in touch with Coinbase Cloud. 
So I think from this announcement, it's pretty exciting that um, Coinbase is already getting into the liquid staking game. Um, I completely agree that there is definitely an opportunity here just to give a sense of numbers behind, you know, how big, you know, the liquid staking market is. Uh, Right now, just over 10% of the total ETH supply is staked on Ethereum, um, or I should say Ethereum's proof of stake blockchain, that is the beacon chain. And the market share of liquid staking is around 35% of that total. Um, And the biggest leader in terms of the liquid staking Um, uh, the biggest competitor, the biggest uh, entity in the liquid staking game right now is by far Lido. Of that 35% market share, Lido actually controls 32% of it. Um, And Lido is very focused more towards retail. Um, the, The kind of solutions that's being proposed by um, this new company, Alluvial, um, is, is geared to enterprise by through um, is geared to enterprise through creating a protocol that would be non-custodial but require all contributors to that protocol to be KYC'd, mm-hmm. AML'd, address, you know, comply with with their standards and make sure that the kind of reliability in terms of node operators are fully vetted by, you know, this this centralized being. So I feel like it's it's a far cries away from what Lido is is barreling towards and that's trying to become more decentralized, permissionless. Um, you know, really anyone can join whereas Alluvial is really staking a claim on hey, the future of liquid staking isn't going to be that. It's it's there's going to we're going to need to make a space for compliant liquid staking solutions. And I think to have, you know, two big names, Figment and Coinbase saying, yes, we agree. Yes, we're on board. Yes, we want to support this is um, a pretty exciting development. Um, And I think it'll be quite interesting to see how the staking, liquid staking dynamic plays out on Ethereum between these more custodial centralized solutions versus the ones being being actively developed by Lido's team and of course, Rocket Pool. That's really interesting. Um, I'm honing in in my mind on the phrase enterprise grade, uh, which you gave a lot of good context for. I was going to ask, it sounds like they're saying Lido is not enterprise grade. And I guess the distinction is both they claim on reliability, they're going to vet the actual validating nodes, et cetera, something to some standard that's, you know, they that is enterprise grade in their minds. I'm using air quotes for listeners who can't see. Um, but also the KYC AML thing is interesting too, right? And it is, you're right, so we're going to have sort of a bifurcation of decentralized permissionless, assuming Lido gets there, and uh, and enterprise quality. And, and I guess for what corporates or for entities that don't want decentralization in how they stake, essentially, um, which, you know, I, that's a... That's a, they're basically going in opposite directions, um, which is kind of interesting. But also, th- this is about the the liquid stake token, right? So a token will be created like Steth, Steeth, <laughs> we've talked about, 
right? So, so not only will Coinbase is already staking for clients, correct? Like they're already staking on the beacon chain. Yes, for clients and for users, they already get a cut of those staking rewards. So they're already making money off of their staking services. And I think mm -hmm. by announcing their support of the liquid staking protocol being developed by Alluvial, they're identifying kind of another profit-making opportunity for their staking business. Um, the only thing that I want to, to talk about in terms, or the only thing that I think is, is pretty important to highlight in terms of the liquid staking token itself is that a lot of the value of holding a liquid staking derivative token is derived from the liquidity of that derivative token. And sometimes, and, and I, I find it a little bit hard to understand how a uh, an enterprise liquid staking derivative token that is only who, who the people like the the pool of people that can mint it the pool of people that can use it is more limited is more vetted is more kyc aml'd mm -hmm. i think that kind of by nature will reduce the liquidity of that token if i'm if i'm not wrong unless i totally agree and so no, no, I, this is a great point i just truly i think that in this game i i I see Lido and the Rocket Pool still winning out. And it's not like Lido doesn't vet their node operators. They do. Of course. And they are moving towards a more decentralized protocol to do so. And I think the kind of differentiating factor in the vetting that Alluvial will do is more geared towards the KYC and the email AML and the compliance with regulators. Um, and so I feel like this is really saying and this is really maybe pointing towards what they foresee and forecast as as stricter regulation coming down on the Lidos and the rocket pools and 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 kind of yeah maybe betting that their future in terms of regulation will will get a bit harder very very interesting um and and also check out i think it was last week we also wrote about and and talked about on this podcast and wrote about it in our newsletter Christine did about Lido staked ETH and this this factor that they've been growing really large. They have a huge share of the beacon chain staking today. Um, so two one two punch last week and this week. Very interesting topic. Um, as we get closer to uh, proof of stake merge in Ethereum, um, obviously we'll be continuing to follow this. So thank you, Christine, as always. Um, okay, our last uh, big story. Chuck uh, Charles Yu joins us. Um, to talk about Polygon, which, you know, is is one of the more important altcoin uh, or I should say like alternative blockchain ecosystems um, out there in the broader cryptocurrency and digital assets world. Um, they they have a Ethereum based sidechain. They have uh, roll ups. I think they even still have a, um, a payment channel network, you know, similar along the lines to Lightning Network. So it's actually sort of a, a family of different um, blockchain and scaling uh, technologies and platforms, and and they've launched a new one, um, Polygon Nightfall, which I think is a permissioned uh, side chain um, that apparently Ernst and Young, one of the big four accountants, will build something on. Chuck, what am I leaving off? And and set the stage here with this story for us. Yeah, um, so you're right in saying that Nightfall is a permissioned blockchain meant for enterprise solutions, but just want to correct you, and it's not actually a side chain solution. Um, Nightfall, it uses a hybrid mix of optimistic and CK tech. So it's a rollup or a layer two that's built on top of Ethereum. Um, Got it. So it gets the benefits of scaling from rollups um, along with the cheaper costs, but it also employs uh, zero knowledge technology 
um, to help protect any sensitive information on behalf of its clients. And zero knowledge basically means that you're revealing enough information to prove that the transaction history is valid without actually revealing the underlying information itself. So for blockchains, a big problem to enterprise adoption so far um, is just some of the privacy concerns with having a, a public facing ledger. So it's easy to see um, you know, the entire transaction history and what amounts and with what counterparties once you have the identity of a certain address. Um, so enterprises that want to protect their identities from competitors, their sales data, customer data, et cetera, um, they might now have a viable solution in Polygon Nightfall. Interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I, I always have to chuckle because the era of the enterprise blockchain, permission blockchain, this was an entire era that I lived through. Um, and, and if you've been in uh, the, you know, crypto and, and Bitcoin and digital assets ecosystems for many years, then you did too. And I used to call that whole era like maybe 2014 to 2016. It, it persisted a little longer, but straight up the blockchain, not Bitcoin era, right? There were all these people that said, uh, oh, man, like Bitcoin, you know, we don't know about that thing, man. It's like it's got the isn't it for criminals or whatever. Right. And. Um, but that blockchain, yo, that that blockchain, that's where it's at, man. Like, we're going to build something with this blockchain. We were going to get tomatoes on the blockchain, right? We were going to have all these business use cases on the blockchain. And, you know, to be honest, like, we, I, I'm not really aware of any truly impactful or, or, or very, very interesting, um, like, permission blockchain uses. So, um, I, you know, personally, me, I don't, I, I think there's good reason for that. We're not going to. Um, you know, blockchains in particular are excellent at achieving and recording a shared state among parties who don't know each other um, in an adversarial environment, typically in a corporate or, or um, consortium environment, you do know each other, right? And you can actually paper up agreements with your counterparties in order to rectify anything that goes wrong. You don't need um, an immutable data store uh, and data structure to, to um to, to be arrived at via consensus on a network level, typically you can, you know, call up your counterparty, right? And so um, it'll be really interesting to see what people build with this. All that being said, I should point out, like, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't see, you know, I'm not totally prescient. Like, I think I'm not putting the nail in the coffin on blockchain being used outside of the public, major public blockchains um, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm not putting the nail in that coffin. I just, I, we haven't really seen it yet. Um, so I don't know, Chuck, like what's this Erst and Young angle? Do we have any information on that? Like, do we know what people might want to build with this? Is there any sort of indication of forthcoming projects? Yeah. Uh, so one of the first products to, to launch on Nightfall um, is from Ernst & Young. It's called the EY Ops Chain Supply Chain Manager. So it provides supply chain traceability and, and inventory management. Um, and if you recall, ENY first announced this partnership with Polygon in September of last year. And uh, I agree with all your points um, that, you know, enterprise adoption has been very, very slow to play out. Um, but having a big four accounting firm build on top of your platform, I would say is pretty validating for the underlying technology in yep. terms of trust. Now, ENY certainly wouldn't, wouldn't dive into something like this without months of researching. Um, and they've been working on uh, this Nightfall solution since 2017. We've also seen Deloitte announce plans to use Avalanche several months ago to, to help with um, FEMA disaster recovery disbursements, um, helping coordinate and get money to, to those who need it fastest. 
Um, so it's certainly going to be interesting to see which enterprises adopt this technology first and what size they'll be. You know, there's definitely a lot of barriers to adoption with how novel and, and untested the technology is. And if supply chain solution will really only be as effective as it's uh, as the user base and its network. But hopefully all goes well. <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Um, yeah, I guess so. Maybe the tomatoes are back. Go ahead, Christine. Yeah, Chuck, a little bit more to that point of why UI chose to chose Polygon and chose chose to to launch their their Nightfall solution, which I remember them working on back in 2017. Out of all like the layer two and sidechain solutions, um, I feel like there's been quite a lot of news around the kind of partnerships and um, big name projects building on Polygon as of late. And I'm curious to know your take on what makes the tech stack of Polygon uh, well-suited for enterprise, uh, more uh, corporate, I guess, businesses um, over some of the other L2 sidechain solutions that you've seen. Um, I feel like in from my perspective, I mean, Polygon doesn't, it, it hasn't really spearheaded any of any one scaling solution and has really um, replicated a lot of the existing ones out there and, and given broad support to, to any of these of these scaling um, solutions on top of Ethereum and other um, alt layer one chains. So I'm curious to know your take about what exactly is, is setting them apart right now and, and why we're seeing so much, I guess, hype for them now. Yeah, I guess just to recap, like in the past months, we've seen Polygon make uh, a number of big partnership announcements, um, some with Stripe, Instagram, um, ApeCoin. Now everything's been pretty retail focused and that was the main draw of Polygon to date, um, given you know it had some of the cheapest transaction fees and one of the largest user bases, um, pretty similar to, to BSC. Um, but over time, um, they've made a ton of zero knowledge investments that are now yeah, proving out to be like some pretty viable solutions, it seems. Um, like they made uh, an acquisition of, of Hermes, of Maiden. Uh, they're launching a couple other different um, rollup or, or ZK-based solutions. Uh, so it's just an interesting evolution in its identity. Um, you know, there's a lot of different sides to Polygon other than just its POS chain. Awesome. Very fascinating too. Um, you know, I think Polygon is one of the more interesting ecosystems, I think to both of your points, partly because of how many different solutions they've got out there. Right. So we'll keep an eye on it for sure. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see if I can keep joking about these tomatoes that have, that are going to be tracked on the blockchain. I, I don't know if, if listeners don't know, I'm referencing, I think an old advertisement from uh, a major technology company from back around 2017, where, they were tracking tomatoes on the blockchain. Um, and so, again, I'm not saying it's an inherently bad idea at all. Um, just waiting to see it. And, you know, if EY is working on supply chain on, on the blockchain, um, maybe we will see it. Uh, we'll, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I will keep watching. Um, all right. Thanks to you both. Um, let's go ahead and do our lightning round. Um, we've got a couple interesting things here today. So two really interesting ones that are sort of similar. First, the UK... Uh, Treasury um, says that stablecoins can be used as a form of payment. And in tandem, uh, a Russian minister of trade and something said that crypto could be legalized for payments. What, what's the take here? What, what do you, what's your reaction? 
uh, Europe's trying to be the global leader in crypto. Um, they're definitely uh, not just sitting sitting idly in the in the audience, um, watching you know the U.S. or how the rest of the world um, plays out in terms of regulating the space and adopting uh, some of the technologies. So so yeah, pretty interesting, pretty bold move, and, and pretty interesting. Yeah, and by legalizing, we actually mean regulating, right? Because like you can already use a stablecoin for a payment or a Bitcoin. Um, and people do, right? So we mean actually, when they say legalize, they mean regulate and and, and make legal. That's right. Okay. Um, Portugal apparently uh, is going to, I guess, rescind uh, the the tax rules that they had put in place for crypto. Um, they had given a tax haven where there was was it zero capital gains or very low capital gains for crypto, but apparently that's not going to continue to be the case. R- rugged, I guess, by by the. The, the Portuguese government on this. Anyone that, you know, went to Portugal solely uh, to avoid capital gains tax. I guess that's not surprising in the scheme of things. Down market, governments need to, you know, keep revenue up. And, you know, who knows? I don't know the inner workings of Portuguese uh, government politics or anything like that. So uh, let's just leave that one at there. A16Z launching a gaming fund. Its first gaming fund, $600 million they raised for it. A16Z also dropped their first state of crypto report, which I read and thought had some some pretty great takeaways for the space, especially given that we're in a bear market now. Great. Very interesting. One last thing, and we always talk about our favorite, uh, at least my favorite, Central American, small Central American country, El Salvador. Um, they are hosting a conference um, with central bankers and uh, finance officials from 44 countries right now focused on Bitcoin. Anyone have a reaction to this? I'm very interested in knowing what some of the outcomes and takeaways from that meeting are going to be. Yeah, I think um, I agree. And and it, I don't know if this was intentional. Most likely it probably was. But when Bretton Woods uh, happened in the 1940s, the agreement, uh, you know, following World War II um, up in uh, Bretton Woods, New Hampshire at the Mount Washington Hotel. Shout out. I've been there. It's a great place. Um, awesome restaurant there in the hotel. That was also 44 countries. So I wonder if they're striving for some symbolism here and just just for the audiences for some specifics some of the countries in attendance either central bankers literally from these countries or from the finance ministry of these countries egypt jordan nigeria senegal the dominican republic congo armenia bangladesh uh, morocco uh, sierra leone liberia sudan mongolia Um, some some pretty big countries in there Um, so anyway very interested to see what happens All right, that's all we have this week. Thank you to Christine Kim, Charles Yu from Galaxy Digital Research. Thank you also to Brandon Bailey from Galaxy Digital Mining. And thanks to Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Digital Trading for joining us. As always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, and this was Galaxy Brains. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, a weekly podcast from Galaxy Digital Research. If you enjoyed this show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to learn more about Galaxy Digital Research and what we work on, check us out on Twitter at GLXY Research and read our reports at galaxydigital.io research. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you next time.